All right, well, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Once again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're uh, striving to work our way through the conclusion of this book. This is our 78th message, so if you're here for the first time, you've got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> and all that's available on the app. You can get the app free on the Apple Store or Android, whatever that is. And, uh, but today I want to talk to you about the hope of the believer's resurrections. You know, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's hard not to see the resurrection. It's on every other verse almost. He's talking about it. Paul is talking about it. And evidently, apparently, in the first century, Christians taught that at death... Um, the body is discarded and the soul goes to heaven. There was a, some believers that believed that. And uh, certainly that's what the Greeks in general believed anyway. Um, to them, the body was like a husk of a corn cob. And uh, it contained the soul. And at death, basically, you, you burned the husk and let the soul go free. That was their thinking. And so that's one reason why some uh, pagans today practice what we call cremation, where you burn the body, and some Christians oppose that. Uh, but cremation itself is not a, a sin in and of itself because the body ends up in dust no matter what, whether it's ashes or whether it's dust in the ground. Uh, the Bible says you're going to go back to dust. But burial in the, in the, in the, in throughout the Scriptures was thought to be a statement of faith <clears throat> that one day <clears throat> that body would be resurrected. And the real problem here in Corinth was not philosophical. They believed, these believers in Corinth believed in the resurrection of Christ. Paul talked about that. He says, you believe this. Their problem was they had a hard time applying it to themselves. And uh, they kind of allowed some of their pagan beliefs to come in and say, well, you know, after you die, basically that's it. Um, Experience seems to argue against the resurrection. And, um, you know, even in our day today, there's a lot more funerals than there are resurrections. Amen? I mean, I've been a pastor for many years. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never been at a party where someone was resurrected. Never happened. And so... Um, you know, we have to be reminded of that. And if you judge by the visual evidence, it's hard to believe that a dead person will ever be raised. We've just never seen it. Um, You can go out and wait in the cemetery all you want. More than likely, you're going to be waiting a long time before you see a body come out of the grave. Now, one day that will happen. Because all will be resurrected, both believers and unbelievers. Believers to go to be to glory with the Lord, their soul will be reunited with their body, and it will be ushered into God's presence. Um, unbelievers will be resurrected, but they will go to a place of hell called uh, or a place of torment called hell, everlasting punishment. And um, you know, there's no such thing as annihilationism where you just die and that's it. Some people believe that because they, in their theology, they have a hard time understanding why a loving God would create 
such a place as hell. And so they, they come up with the idea that, well, when you die, you just simply, your body goes to the grave and that's it. Um, but we haven't had any verified resurrections in over 2,000 years since Christ. And uh, we've had a lot, of, a lot of funerals, but where are the resurrections? You know, I'm reminded, um, I read an article about the Soviet Congress, and after Lenin died, they issued a declaration at his death. And on, on June 21st, 1924, here's what they said about their dead leader. They said his vision was colossal. His intelligence in organizing the masses was beyond belief. He was the Lord of the new humanity, the Savior of the world. That's what they believed about that man. It's quite a mouthful to say about any man. But the one thing I noticed in that quote was that little three-letter word, was. (laughs) He was. Uh, in it, we see the end of what apparently they thought was a great man. Uh, but Lenin is a dead man. And the claims that, made, that were made about him will pass off the scene of history, you know, in time, if they haven't already. And so, for almost 2,000 years ago, another declaration was made at the tomb of Jesus, if you, if you remember this in the Gospels. We usually look at this around Easter time when we celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ. And it was the angel who said, he, when someone inquired where he is, they said, he is not here, speaking of Christ. He is risen. He is risen. Uh, notice it says, Jesus is risen. Not Jesus has risen. It's a present tense. Jesus is risen. He is alive. Amen? He's changing men. He's changing women. He's been doing so for over 2,000 years now since his death. Why? Because Jesus Christ, not Lenin, is the Lord of the universe. And he's the Savior of the world because he was resurrected from the dead. And he is still alive today. In spite of all the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ, men still wrestle with this question. What if Christ is not risen? People wrestle with that question. What if Christ is not risen? uh, risen? And maybe we all have, perhaps in a moment of, of weak faith, a Christian might say to himself, how do we know for sure that the resurrection is true? What if it never happened? What if it's only a hoax? What if it's a mere dream of somebody? If it's only wishful thinking? And these are normal doubts sometimes that come into Christians' mind at any time, especially when we're, our spiritual tank is a little low. We begin to wonder. We begin to question things. And in a moment of doubt, we may reason, surely if, if there is no resurrection of Christ, well, you know what? There's still the same loving God. Even if Christ didn't rise from the dead, there's still the, the same loving Heavenly Father. There's still the same precious Jesus who lived a wonderful life. 
And he had a lot of practical teachings, and he, he did offer his death as a sacrifice for our sins. And so there's, there's still hope of some kind of life after death. But the Apostle Paul, in our text this morning, verses 12 to 20, and I don't know if we'll get through all of it uh, with our communion time at the end, but we see here the Apostle Paul would take strong opposition to that kind of thinking, (laughs) to that kind of theology. He would argue that the resurrection of Christ is fundamental to any true Christian, to Christianity in and of itself. And without the resurrection of Christ, this true historical fact, you know what? There's no Christianity at all. None. I've talked to some people who profess Christ. They say they're a Christian. And I've talked to them sometimes, and they say they bring up the resurrection. They say, you know, the one thing I struggle with is just believing that Jesus came back from the dead. And I could never get my mind around that. I'm thinking, well, why would you believe anything if he didn't? Um, And that's very important that we understand that that is fundamental to our faith. And what Paul is going to do here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20, is show some of the the logical uh, uh, consequences, the logical consequences of denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what are the consequences? And this is where I believe that the modern-day church has kind of forgotten that theology has consequences. Theology matters. What you believe to be true matters. What you believe about Christ matters. Today, so many churches, well, that's okay. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Just believe whatever you want. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. Um, As a matter of fact, he was very, very clear about those who would follow him, was he not? He said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, what, just join the party? Is that what Jesus said? I don't think so. He said, you first have to what? Deny yourself and take up your cross, as we've sung about this morning, and follow me. And be reminded, the cross wasn't something little on an earring or a necklace. The cross is an instrument of death. That's what it was. I mean, people back in Jesus' day would be horrified at what people do with crosses today. <laughs> they would say, what are you wearing that around your neck for? You know, because it, it, it represented death. It re- represented a cruel death. And uh, we just have to be clear that, you know, when you come to Christ, when you're willing to forsake all and follow him, that's the mandate. That's, that's what Jesus requires of us to be called his disciple or called his follower. Um, we can't just have one toe in and one toe out. It doesn't work that way. And some people say, well, that seems kind of exclusive. Yes, it's very exclusive. It's a very exclusive message, the message of salvation. It's available to all. But you know what? The Bible also says, except except you put your faith in Christ, you will not experience salvation. And so in this, in this section of Scripture this morning that we're going to read in just a second here, Paul's whole method of reasoning is, what do we give up if the resurrection is not 
true. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, what do we give up? He argues it from a a negative point of view, assuming certain false presumptions to prove that Christ did not uh, rise from the dead and, and Christians too shall rise from the dead. So he, he wants us to, to clearly understand that, that Christ rose from the dead, but there's some among the Corinthians that were saying, well, now we, don't, we believe in Christ's resurrection, but when it comes to us personally, they, they had no hope of being resurrected. And um, they, they just had a real hard time understanding that. And, and par, Paul's arguments demands concentration, but he, he devastates those who would say they are Christians and deny the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we just read verses 12 to 20 this morning. Verses 12 to 20 of First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Father, we ask that you'd bless this word to our hearts as we look at it this morning. We pray you'd, you'd apply it to our lives in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word. This morning, I want to look at the hope of the, the resurrection of the believer. What if there had been no resurrection? And this is what Paul reminds us how important this doctrine is, that the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. It's vital. It's foundational to our faith. He tells us that it's an essential component of the gospel of grace. In verses 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died. For our sins in accordance with the scriptures, look at verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. With that in mind, he proceeds to offer proof, and we looked at that already, verses 5 through uh, 11, basically, the witnesses of the resurrection. We've covered that already. But apparently there were some members of the Corinthian church who doubted the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Most of the believers believed that Jesus rose from the dead, but they had a hard time believing that they too would one day rise from the dead. And so Paul is writing them to remind them that the resurrection 
is essential to our salvation and to any hope for heaven. And so in an effort to awaken the Corinthian believers to the importance of their own resurrection, he paints this dismal picture of of what life would be like if there had been no resurrection. Because if there had been no resurrection from the dead, you know, we would be in sad shape this morning, beloved. (laughs) There would be no hope for us. So let's look at verses 12 to 19 first, and then we'll look at verse 20, but... In verses 12 to 13, we see here this, this bitter assumption that Paul makes about there's no foundation. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? I mean, that's the very essence of the gospel that, that Paul was preaching. Paul reminds us that there, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then guess what? Jesus did not rise from the dead. If they can't believe in their own resurrection because they're saying, well, there is no such a thing, Paul. But Jesus, he's kind of an exception. We believe that he, he rose from the dead. But um, you know, when it comes to us as individuals, as followers of Christ, we don't believe in that. We don't believe that, that bodies will one day raise from, rise from the dead. And that was a teaching that was thrust upon them from their pagan backgrounds and everything else. And so Paul has to remind them, if you don't believe in resurrection, you can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he is dead, still in the grave, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then everything we believe basically comes crashing down around us. Do you see that? It's the keystone of our faith. And the construction here in the original implies a condition that is true. When he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. He's not, he's not questioning that. Paul is not saying, well, maybe you're right. You know, if, if he was, no. It's, it's almost since Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Because it is a fact. It is something that's true. And that, that word that they use for being raised here is presented alive. It's a perfect tense in the original language. And what that means is a perfect tense is a verb that's used by the writer to describe a completed action that's occurred in the past, but it still has ongoing uh, relationship and ongoing results to the present. Jesus Christ's resurrection is the reason that we're saved. You know, on Communion Sunday, we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. There'd be no reason to celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. There'd be no reason to lift up the cross if the tomb had Jesus' body in it. It would be futile, as he says. And so it's, it's important that we understand that Paul is, is clearly showing us here that if we don't have this foundation, if we don't believe in resurrection, then we have no foundation for our own faith. We have nothing. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus himself is no better than ten thousands of others who claim to be sent from God. Thousands of others who were crucified on the cross. Sometimes we think that Jesus was the only one that was crucified on the cross. We forget now there was even two crucified with him. <laughs> That's how popular crucifixion was. He didn't get his own special little place. On Calvary, there was 
there was two criminals on each side of him. It was such a common thing for someone to be crucified back then by the Romans. And so the fact that Jesus went to Calvary and died and lived an exemplary life, and boy, that's all great. That's wonderful. But if he did not rise from the dead, he would be no better than anybody else. If he did not rise, then his death was really an unfortunate end to a misspent life. And his teachings are nothing more than the the rantings of some maniac. If it's true that there is no resurrection, Paul says, from the dead, then the very system of belief that we cherish is nothing more than just another world religion. You say, well, what's wrong with religion? Religion is, is man's feeble attempt to reach out to a holy God. Any world religion that you consider is always somehow trying to, to, to bridge that gap between them and their God. And usually it ends up being done by works or giving money or burning incense or whatever, some kind of a work. Christianity is the only one that says, no, you know what, Jesus did the work for you. Christianity is not like all other religions. It's different. It has hope. It offers hope. It offers life change. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. If Christ had not risen from the dead, then he would not be alive today. He would not be able to affect change in our hearts and in our minds. If Jesus is still in the tomb today, then our way of life is is basically a big fraud. It's a farce. We're among some of the greatest fools that ever walked on the planet. If Jesus is dead, then our system of beliefs is dead. Our foundation has crumbled beneath us. Let's just go home. There's no sense in gathering together. So it has a vast impact, as you can see. And he says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then verse 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then guess what? Not even Christ has been raised. Not even Christ has been raised. It's so important that we believe that fact. That we believe that Jesus Christ rose, literally, from the grave. So it's, it's that foundation. Um, He says in verse 14 that we don't really have any faith. In verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, remember he's using the negative here. He's not stating a fact. He's stating their argument. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. You know, In these verses, the great apostle Paul moves to paint even a more sobering portrait of how things would be today if Jesus were still dead. And he wants the Corinthians to understand this. He tells us the three areas that are, are truly uh, just off base if Jesus is still dead. First of all is our preaching. He says that, you know what, if Jesus is dead, beloved, all of the preachers have wasted their time and their words proclaiming the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the first witness, 
Mary Magdalene, John 20, through several hundred that we went through, mentioned in verses 5 to 8 of our text, to modern men like Spurgeon and Wesley and Edwards and Moody, MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, all of them have been fools. They're fools if Christ had not risen from the dead. Our preaching is in vain. I mean, what are we going to preach? What are we going to proclaim? Well, Jesus was a great guy. Yeah, he lived 30-some years here on the earth, and then he, he voluntarily he went to the cross, even though he didn't do anything wrong. They kinda, he got the short end of the stick, and he died on, on the cross. I mean, yeah, we can, we can look at that and go, wow, that's, that's unique, that's interesting. What makes Christ set apart from everyone else is on the third day, what happened? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so our, our preaching is not just on the cross of Jesus. And sometimes we, we forget that. Sometimes we even leave out of the gospel that element that, yeah, you have to believe that you're a sinner. Yeah, you have to believe that Jesus paid for your sins. That he went to, to, to Calvary and died, gave up his life. But you also have to believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead. If you believe the other two and you don't believe the third one, guess what? Your, your faith isn't going to get you anywhere. That kind of belief is not going to get you to heaven because it's the, the belief that Christ rose from the dead is what makes our preaching, our message, the proclamation of the gospel such a unique message. You know, if you're talking to any other person of faith other than Christianity, any other world religion, pretty much you can take them to the tomb where their founder is found and buried. But we can't, because he's not there. (laughs) He lives, and he lives in the hearts and lives of the people that have chosen to follow him, and that's why we see the evidence that he is alive, some of you have, have gone through major trials in your life as a youngster, as a teenager, now maybe even as an older person. And you know what? God has brought you to a point of faith and you've put your faith, your trust in Christ. And what has Christ done? He's transformed you. He's changed you. He's made you a new person in Christ. The Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have what? Become new. And it's God that does that. We don't do that. You know, we, we like to pat ourselves on the back sometimes and think that somehow we're cleaning up our act and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not going to get you to heaven. <laughs> the only thing that's going to get you to heaven is when you reach the end of your rope. When you begin to realize that, you know what, there's no way out of this mess. There's no way for me to have any kind of relationship with God because I'm already condemned because of my sin. And immediately our heart says, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, I'm not a Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not this person. I'm not a Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden. No. But you don't have to be. The Bible says we all have what? Sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. 
God says, here's the target. Guess what? You missed it. That's what sin is. You missed the target. You missed the goal. You can't rise and pull yourself up. You don't get a do-over. God says, no, you know what? You were even born in your sin. And you take a little baby. You don't have to teach that little baby to be a sinner. Do you? No? They're just naturally a sinner. I mean, yeah, they're cute and, you know, all that for a couple years. <laughs> and then they start to express their desire and their will, and it's the opposite of the parents. And, no, I don't want to go to bed, and I'm going to cry all night long, whatever. You know, I mean, they're little sinners, as cute as they are. And they need the grace of God. And so we're all at that, that point, and that's why we preach the gospel with, with such a um, passion, because we want people to know that, hey, this is not the same as everything else that people are believing nowadays. This is, this is the exception to the rule. This is, this is different, this message of Jesus Christ, this gospel that we proclaim. It's not all-inclusive. It's not all, hey, just, you know, just believe God is love and you'll be okay. Now, that's what people do to God today. They recreate God in their own mind so that they can kind of be comfortable with their behavior. And see, that's not what the Word of God says at all. The Word of God says, no, God demands a different kind of behavior, a behavior that you can't even do. Remember when Jesus was talking to some of the religious leaders and he was explaining some of these things, and they said, well, how, how, how can anyone, who, can, who gets to see the Father? Who gets to go to heaven was basically their, their question. I'm kind of sharing it here in general, but that's basically what they said. And he said, oh, you want to know who? What are the qualifications? What did Jesus say? You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And what did they say? Well, wait a minute. If that's the case, who can be saved? That's kind of what they responded with. But that's exactly the truth. If you, if you come to me today after the service and say, you know, Steve, boy, you know, I, how, do I, how can I know for sure I'll be in heaven one day? Well, you've got to be perfect. I mean, you might shake your head at me and go, well, that's crazy, and walk away discouraged. But see, if you understand that truth... I can't be perfect. If you understand that, if you can grasp that and allow your pride to kind of take a little break and to realize, wait a minute, it's not all about you all the time. God does have a purpose. He does have a plan for me. And part of that plan is me understanding that I can't be perfect. Do you know you can't work hard enough to please God outside of Christ? You could give everything you own, everything you have. You could spend every moment working to feed the poor and help those who are in the hospitals and and those who are dealing with issues in their lives and help people till the day you die. It's never going to be enough to save you from your sin, ever. You can't do enough because the Bible says that we've been saved by what? All right? Grace through faith. It's not of our, what, selves. 
Why? So that we can't boast. You know, if you could work your way to heaven, what would heaven be like? Can you imagine? Hey, Joe, good to see you. What are you doing here? Oh, man, you know what? I fed so many homeless people. That's how I got here. Great. What you? I, I did this. I did. We'd all be bragging about ourselves how we got to heaven. God wouldn't be part of that. No, when you get to heaven, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's going to be nothing about yourself. The only thing you're going to be able to say is praise God. Praise God he saved me. Because I was sinking deep in sin, far from the stormy shore, right? Had no hope. And what did God do? God opened my eyes to the gospel. See, that's the first step when we share, when we preach, when we evangelize, is helping people come to terms with their own condition. If we don't do that, and, and a lot of churches don't, a lot of churches bypass that. So when they're talking to someone who's outside of Christ, the first thing that person hears is, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that sounds wonderful, but that may or may not be true. (laughs) And so we have to stop and we have to realize that, you know, we can't candy coat the gospel. I mean, what did John the Baptist say? I mean, he was proclaiming before Christ came. And his was a message of what? Of repentance. Of you better change your ways. You better look and change what you're doing because what you're doing is not working. And you know what? Some may be here today who've all their life, they've been involved in religion. They've been Christian, even Christian religion. There's been people that come to church since they've been in the nursery. And what are they trusting in? That attendance. They're trusting in the faith of their family, the faith of their parents, the faith that maybe they grew up in a youth group or they served on a mission somewhere and and they feel somehow that God has to save them because they did something. That's nothing further from the truth. We all deserve God's judgment. We all deserve God's wrath. It's only by the grace of God through Christ And through his death and his resurrection that we are saved. So first of all, our preaching is in vain. Literally in vain if Christ is not raised. Secondly, verse 14, he says our faith is in vain. He said not only is our preaching is in vain, he says your faith is in vain. Paul tells us that if Jesus is still dead, then we are wasting our time serving him we're wasting our time giving our resources to him we're wasting our time worshiping him if jesus is still dead if there was no resurrection i mean you'd be better off going off and and worshiping a rock somewhere or a tree than worshiping jesus if he is still dead if jesus is still in the grave then everything we do guess what it's false it's phony. It's, it's foolishness, really. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all the, the preaching that you have listened to over the years is a lie. All of your, your praying, all of your serving, all of your witnessing, 
all the church attendance that you've racked up, it's all been a waste of time. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then, beloved, we are the the victim of the most cruel hoax ever played on humanity. And really, the Christian faith is the greatest joke of all time. If Christ had not risen from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Paul says our faith is in vain. Not only that, look at verse 15. He says, if Christ had not risen from the dead, then we are even found to be misrepresenting God. What's he saying? He says, we're false witnesses. We're telling a lie about God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. Paul tells us that all those who spread the Christian message of salvation through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are liars if Jesus, in fact, had not risen from the dead. Every time we open our mouths to sing a hymn or a song or a chorus, every time we open our mouths to witness or to testify or to preach or whatever we do in his name, then guess what? We're liars if Christ truly had not risen from the dead. I mean, just consider for a moment what a leap of faith this is. Think about it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was a man of social standing, no doubt had some wealth. He had great influence in the society. He came from an incredible educational and religious background. And what does he end up doing? The Apostle Paul was willing to throw all of that away. Some of those things we, even today, we still want. Wealth and social standing and influence and education. But Paul threw all that away for the cause of Jesus. He was beaten. The Bible tells us he was imprisoned. He was assaulted. This is after he came to Christ, by the way. He was stoned and left for dead. Why? All for the name of Christ. All because he took a stand on who Christ was. Here is a man who was at one time dead set against Christianity. He was so dead set against it that he would go out and oversee the murder of Christians. He would hunt them down, round them up like animals because they were interfering with his belief of Judaism and his Pharisaical beliefs. And so he was the guy, Saul. He would go out and persecute the church. He was dead set against it. His single purpose in life was to destroy everyone and everything associated with the name of Christ. And so for Paul to turn his back on everything he loved, everything he thought was true, everything that he devoted his life to, to simply spread a lie 
that Christ truly had risen from the dead? That's, that's too big of a leap of faith for me. I don't think someone would do that. And if he did, he was absolutely crazy. So if Christ had not risen from the dead, verse 15 says, not only is our preaching in vain, our faith is in vain, but also that we're false witnesses. We're, we're sharing a message that not only... It's hard to believe, but apparently it's not true. It's an all-out lie. And those are some of the, the theological consequences that Paul wants us to understand if there was no resurrection. But now he, he turns it to the personal consequences. That's kind of our system of belief. But then in verse 17, he points out very clearly in verse, 15, in verse 16, he says, for if, Christ, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, because that's what they were saying. They, they believed that, oh no, wait, some of the Christians in Corinth believed that Christ was risen from the dead. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They believed in his resurrection, but they wouldn't believe that one day they would be resurrected as well. And so Paul is saying, wait a minute, you can't have it both ways, guys. Either there is a resurrection and Christ was raised from the dead and you will be raised from the dead, but you can't say, well, I don't believe there's a resurrection, but I believe Christ was raised from the dead. That doesn't make any sense logically. And so in verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, he says, your faith is futile. What's he saying? He's saying you have no forgiveness. <laughs> you have no forgiveness. I mean, why would you have faith in Christ anyway? I mean, just to add another thing to do in your life, just to go to church, just to socialize with some people that are following the same belief system? No, I would say most of us who come to faith in Christ, we have faith in Christ. Why? Because we understand if we have faith in Christ, our sins, this burden of sin that we were born with and we carry with us every day is washed away. It's forgiven through his work on the cross. And by the fact that he was raised on the third day, that was kind of God cashing the check on his death. You know, if, he, if someone gives you a check for a million dollars, you're probably going, is this real? Only one way to find out, right? You go and you take it to the bank and you deposit that. And what do they do? They put a hold on the funds, right? There's a hold on the funds for a couple days so everything gets sorted out. They want to make sure it's legit. But eventually, if it is legit, guess what? You, get, you go to the ATM and you punch up your little number and, wow, wow, this is great. When God raised Jesus from the dead, when he was, came out of that tomb, it was God cashing the check on his death. That this was not just the death of a mere man. This was the death of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who was able to take away the sins of the world and we can apply that personally to us. As if things couldn't even get any worse, Paul tells us that if Jesus isn't alive, then we're still lost. We're still bound. We're still in our sins, even this morning. See, that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel message is a great truth that Jesus Christ left heaven, he was born of a virgin. 
He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on to say that on the third day, he rose from the dead. If Jesus is still dead, then guess what? Fast, personal consequences. We are not forgiven. We are still weighted down with our sin. We are not justified before God. As that song sang, you know, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he's not calling us a friend. Because there's no way to deal with our sin. It's only through his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, and the fact that he did rise from the dead, as he, as he promised. If Christ is still dead today, then we're still looking for a redeemer. We better figure something out quick, because we're all headed to hell. So there's no forgiveness, but then in verses 18 and 19, it says there's no future Look at this, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, who? Christians who have died. How many times have you been to a funeral for someone who died and they were a Christian? It's really a celebration of life, isn't it? I mean, sure, you miss the person, you wish they were still with you, but you know what? If they had faith in Christ, your faith teaches you that, you know what? They haven't just perished. They're not just gone. They're not just annihilated. No, They're they're with Christ in glory. And one day, their body will be resurrected and reunited with their soul, and they'll both be together. Those who have died in Christ, if you don't believe in the resurrection, have perished. There's no hope. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if we don't have anything past our death, if this doesn't give us anything for the future, for etern- eternal consequences of our faith, if there's nothing there because Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, and after all this, we just die and are buried or burned up or whatever you choose, and that's it? He says, man, we're of all people most pitied. Why? Because we're believing this lie that, hey, we're committing to Christ. We're denying ourselves. We're giving our resources. We're, we're giving our gifts, our talents, our treasures in the name of Christ all of our life. And if he hadn't risen from the dead, guess what? It's all for naught. It's a waste. He tells us if Jesus is still dead, then we have no hope for the future at all. Two terrible things are true here. Our loved ones who have gone before us are gone forever. We'll never have any hope of seeing them again if Christ had not risen from the dead. I mean, isn't that one of the blessings of the Christian life? Of believing that Christ did rise from the dead and believing that one day we will rise from the dead? It gives us the knowledge that one day we will participate with a reunion in heaven with those who have gone on before us. I think sometimes when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be, right? The hymn says. But I think it's also going to be a surprising day. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked, first of all, of who's there. 
<laughs> who's there. And I think we're also going to be shocked of, guess what, who's not there? Who's not there? And the reason I say that is in Matthew, it, it, it clearly tells us that there's a group of people that come before the Lord. And they say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? Haven't we healed the sick? Done this and done that in your name. We've called you Lord. And what's Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He doesn't even call their, by the world standards, good works good. He says, it's like iniquity before me. Because our, our, our good works before a holy God outside of Christ are like filthy rags, the Bible says. A rag that you can't even use it anymore. It's just, you just got to toss it away. Yesterday I was cleaning my wife's car and I, I went into my garage and I remember I had this little packet of, you know, those painter's rags, just those cheapy little rags and I was cleaning up some of the, the details of the, the frame and stuff when you open the door and everything, you grease and all that. So I thought, I didn't care if I get this, this rag dirty or not because I'm just going to toss it away. It's not even a cent. It's not even worth a penny to me. It didn't matter. That's how God looks at our good works if they're done outside of Christ. And he just wants us to know that, you know what, we have to have that anticipation of heaven. That's where our hope should be. Because if not, then those who have gone before us are gone forever. Secondly, we've really lived our lives in pain. That's what he points out here. We believed a lie. We're still going to heaven. Think of some of the promises that God told us in his word that are not true. They can't be true if Christ had not risen from the dead. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far as to say these verses are lies if Jesus is still in the grave. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Guess what? There's no rest in Christ if Christ is still dead. Or John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lie, if Christ had not risen from the dead. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Lie. You know, it's like they, you know, they do this, the liar. <laughs> Loser, I guess it means, but sometimes it means liar too. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a lie if Jesus is still in the grave, because he did. If he's just dead like everybody else, he did leave us. Psalm 103, verse 12, says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If I asked you, how far as the east is from the west? Go get a measuring stick and figure it out. You could have one of those little laser measuring things. You're still not going to figure it out. It's impossible to measure. Or more importantly, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Impossible if Jesus is still in the grave. All those verses are bitter, cruel lies if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And that paints a very, very bleak picture for us. If there's no resurrection from the dead then we are all in real trouble. And I would say we need some psychiatric help to get through it because we have nothing else to rely on. 
I'm so glad Paul didn't stop at verse 19. Look at what verse 20 says. But he gives all this negative stuff. And then he says, but, hallelujah, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? He has been raised from the dead. The thrilling fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, that he lives today in us, he lives here this morning just like the Bible says he does. And all these men down throughout the ages weren't a bunch of, of deluded men, but in, in fact are teaching truth. It means that we do have salvation for our lost souls through Christ. When the angel told the woman at the grave that Jesus was risen, he is risen, his witness is true, he lives. And because he lives, all those negative things that we just mentioned are transformed. They're changed into positives. Before the first ray of sunshine ever broke the darkness on that Sunday morning 2,000 some years ago, God had already stretched out his hand. He had already called the sun to come forth from the grave. And the Father sent angels to roll away the stone I mean, he, he didn't do that to leave Jesus out. He was already gone at that point. The stone was roll, rolled away so that you and I might be able to look in to realize, wow, it's empty. Our Savior lives. And that's why he's our firm foundation. That's why our faith is genuine. That's why our forgiveness is accomplished through Christ That's why our future is secure. We don't have to worry. We don't have to have anxiety about what's going on in the world. We know that there's a place that's far greater than this. We're here but for a vapor, the Bible says. Don't get all wrapped up in who's president or who's not and all this stuff. I mean, hey, go to the polls and do your diligence. But on the other hand, don't let it consume you. It's not worth it. It's a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. All those negatives can become positives. And all the despair has been changed into hope. Not for everyone, but for those who have put their faith, their trust in Christ, in his forgiveness. Understand his work on the cross and that he did rise from the dead. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I'm glad I know personally in my own heart that Jesus lives. (laughs) He lives. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we question things. But I know that he lives this morning because I've met him on a personal level. He's changed my life in a way that I could never change myself. And I know that there's many in this congregation that could speak to the same thing. That we were lost, we were undone, we were full of sin. We were living wicked and corrupt lives, especially before God. Yet in his love, he reached out, he touched our hearts, he took the blinders off our eyes, and we saw the need for a Savior. 
And we cried out in faith, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. If you don't know him today, this morning personally, that's just a a prayer away. Just a prayer away. And God, we pray that you would draw all these hearts to you. Father, that you would show them that your, your love is real, that your son is real, that he's not dead, he's alive, and he's able to affect change in our hearts and in our minds. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen.